Audio 16, Resurrection Message, Part 8. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. In this message, let us begin by asking ourselves the following questions. Question number one. Our free will friends tell us that they are not under the law, but under grace. But are they? Question number two, what law are we talking about? Question number three, at what point in our life does the law no longer have dominion over us? Question number four, what is the purpose or function of the law? Our free will friends are real good at quoting parts of verses such as this, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And then we ask our free will friends, why are we not under the law? And they usually tell us, because we are saved by faith. Then we ask, faith in what? And they say, that is, they usually say, faith that Jesus died for our sins. Then we say, give us the verse, which includes the actual word faith, that is, faith that Jesus died for our sins. Does that verse exist? Then we get either a blank stare or we get a bunch of sidestepping, evasive action, skirting around, ducking, red herrings, fainting, etc. So then we say, what does the whole verse say? Usually another blank stare. Former Mr. Morality himself writes to his brethren in Rome, the whole verse, Romans 6, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. So then we ask our free world friends to tell us what the definition of sin is. Many will say missing the mark. So we say, well, what does that mean? and so on, until we steer them to the definition of sin, which is 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Therefore, sin equals breaking God's law. So then we say, let us replace the word sin with breaking God's law, Romans 6, 14. For breaking God's law shall not have dominion over you. Adam broke one commandment and was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And thus Adam had to keep all God's commandments perfectly to stay in the garden. Otherwise, the law had dominion over him. Likewise, we as Americans are under the same law as Adam. Galatians 3, 10. For as many are of the works of the law, are under the curse of the law, that is, cursed to hell. For it is written, curse, that is, to hell, is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Which means, if we don't keep the commandments perfectly, we are under the curse of the law, which is the same as Jesus commands us. Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus commands, Be ye therefore perfect, not endeavor to be perfect, 
but be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now back to the verse, Romans 6, 14. For sin, or breaking of the God's law, shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. Using common sense, being under God's law means we must keep God's commandments perfectly like Adam had to in order to stay in the garden. But we can't keep the commandments perfectly. And therefore, to be under grace means that Jesus kept the commandments perfectly for us. So then what do we do with the law as a new creation? That is a good question, is it not? So we ask our free will friends, what do you do with the law? Or does sin or breaking God's law have dominion over you? Then we usually get a couple different answers. Answer one, sin absolutely does not have dominion over me, for I'm not under the law, but under grace. And I don't have to worry about the law any longer, nor confessing my sin. Then we say to them, if you are not under the law, can you freely murder people, freely steal from people, freely lie to people, freely fornicate with people, freely keep, commit adultery with people? What is going to be their answer, do you think? The more they try to wiggle their way out of this, the deeper hole they dig for themselves. For in the figment of their imagination, they do a head fake upon themselves and try to make themselves believe that the law has gone bye-bye in their lives. Then the second group of our free will friends answered this way. Sin absolutely does not have dominion over me, for I get the booster shot from the Holy Spirit to help me pull out of the pollutions of the world. I now am much more moral than I was before. So then we asked them, what does it mean to not be under the law? Can grace and the following of the law, even with the booster shot of the Holy Spirit, coexist together? Or are grace and following the law like oil and water? They do not mix. That is, they are mutually exclusive. What is of grace is not of the law, and what is of the law is not of grace. In fact, former Mr. Morality ran into this problem in his date and time. Romans 11, verse 5. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no more works, that is, by following the law. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. The moment we follow the law as new creations, it is no more grace. And what is grace but that Jesus followed the moral law for us as a gift to us. Former Mr. Morality himself certainly gets that grace means that Jesus followed the moral law for us, for he writes to his brethren in Rome. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. 
Even so, by the righteousness of one, that is Jesus, followed his Father's commandments perfectly for us, the free gift of righteousness came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that is, the perfect obedience of Jesus, shall many be made righteous. So to be under grace simply means that Jesus fulfilled all his Father's commandments for us as a gift to us. So now the question still remains, what do we do with the law as a new creation if following law cancels grace? For Jesus already followed the law for us. Let us keep pondering this question, for there is a simple answer. So here we are again, finding our free will friends who are telling us they are following the law as a butterfly or new creation in a pickle, out on a limb, up a creek, and on the hot seat. Again, our free will friends quote this verse all the time. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. But have we ever heard our free will friends quote the following verse, which is just 10 verses down from the above verse? Have we ever heard them quote Romans 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now our free will friends tell us that they are no longer under the law. And they tell us the law no longer has dominion over them. So then we simply ask them, are you still alive, that is spiritually alive. For if you are still alive, former Mr. Morality is telling you that you are still under the dominion of the law and thus cursed to hell. Again, Romans 7 verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So, former Mr. Morality answers our free will friends, if you are a true believer, don't you know that the law has dominion over you as long as you have not died a spiritual death? If you don't know this, you are most likely a tweaked caterpillar and not a butterfly or a new spiritual creation. And do not understand the law, for I made it clear to my Roman brethren that the law is spiritual, and thus the caterpillar Americans are clueless about the true function of the law. Romans chapter 7 verse 14, for we, I and my Roman brethren who are butterflies, we know the law is spiritual. In other words, if we are not a new creation as Americans, then we are still free will caterpillar Americans and are clueless to the true function of the law. Whereas natural men caterpillar Americans, we cannot discern 
the spiritual. In fact, I, former Mr. Morality myself, told my brethren in Corinth the following, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we, as butterflies, have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? In order that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, But he that is, of, is, that he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet himself is judged of no man. Verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Believe me, as a caterpillar Pharisee, I was clueless to the true meaning of the law. But I now have the mind of Christ. And if you are yet to be made a butterfly by Jesus, you are just as clueless to the true function of the law as I was as a caterpillar Bible teacher. For when I was made a new creation on Damascus Road by Jesus, I innately experienced the true function of the law. For I died a spiritual death, and the law no longer had dominion over me. Here is my personal testimony of the true function of the law. Romans 7 verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. That is, before I was a new creation. But when the commandment came, that is, the spiritual meaning of the law, was revealed to me, that perfect really did mean perfect. Again, when the commandment came, sin revived. That is, my sin nature revived. That is, the evil proclivities of my heart came alive. And I died. That is, I died that spiritual death that Jesus was talking about in the corner of wheat analogy. Verse 10, And the commandment which was ordained to life, that is, using the law to become more and more moral, I found to be unto death. That is, the law could not root out the evil proclivities of my heart by morality. And therefore, I died to morality as a means of salvation. Do you remember what Jesus told the Greeks that wanted not to just see him in the flesh, but wanted to see the spiritual Jesus? What I just described in this verse above is the doctrine behind Jesus' corn of the wheat analogy. I learned the law was not to be used to cover over my evil proclivities with morality, but was to be used to expose to me that my evil proclivities were ineradicable, and thus I died to the notion of following the law as a means of salvation. And secondly, that I now innately knew that Jesus wasn't kidding when he commanded and demanded that we be perfect, and thus the function of the law was to continually throw me to the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling, crying out for mercy, as I feel Jesus giving me a hand up, saying, fear not. Just believe me by faith that I 
fulfill the moral law for you. So the true function of the law is to condemn and convict us that we might experience the death and resurrection that Jesus is speaking of in his corn of the wheat analogy. Now, keeping in mind the true function of the law experience I just described to you above, let us again read the corn of wheat analogy, John 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, verse 21. The same came before Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, Jesus knew that they, like Nicodemus, wanted not just to see Jesus in the flesh, but they wanted to see the spiritual Jesus. They wanted to be 100% sure he was the spiritual Messiah, not just another human. In order for us to understand what it means to be spiritual, let us look at Jesus told Nicodemus, who also wanted to not see Jesus in the flesh, but to see the spiritual Jesus. So what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? But that he could not see the spiritual himself or the spiritual Jesus, who is the embodiment of the kingdom of God, unless he was born again and became spiritual. Only the spiritual can see the spiritual. Now back to Jesus and Nicodemus, John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or in other words, except a man be born again, he cannot see me. The spiritual Jesus, who is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. If any man sees the spiritual me, he sees the kingdom of God. So if these Greeks want to see Jesus, they must be born again or become a new spiritual creation. But with the Greeks, Jesus is going to give a much more detailed and deeper understanding of what it means to become born again or a new creation. Jesus is going to explain that to become a new creation or born again, there must be a spiritual death and resurrection. So Jesus says, let me explain. John 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I, Jesus, say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So I, former Mr. Morality, am in complete agreement with Jesus. For in his analogy, when the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it means exactly the same thing as when I say, Romans 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. That is, the law hath dominion over us until we have an experiential spiritual death. But once there is a spiritual death, there will be the resurrection of a new creation plant. This spiritual death and resurrection, I explain this way in the following verses. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? 
When Jesus makes us a new creation, does he baptize with water or the Holy Spirit and the fire? Dr. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, that is John the Baptist, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize with water. That is, my physical water baptism will mirror Jesus' spiritual baptism. Down under the water, a spiritual death. Out of the water, a spiritual resurrection unto a new creation. Again, I, John the Baptist, will indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the fire. I, former Mr. Morality, am explaining Jesus's corn of the wheat analogy in another way, but I'm saying the same thing. Think of Jesus's corn of wheat analogy as you carefully read my words that I'm speaking to my brethren in Rome. Romans 6, 3. Now think about Jesus' corn of the wheat analogy. Romans 6, 3. Know ye not. That is, don't you know that so many of us that are now butterflies, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. What happened to the corn and wheat? It fell into the ground and it died. Verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Jesus took on hell for our breaking the law. And when we die spiritually, Christ's punishment in hell counts as our own personal punishment. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead, that is, Jesus, the second Adam, did what the first Adam failed to do while here on earth. He knew no sin. That is, he kept his father's commandments perfectly, and thus, by the glory of his father, his father in heaven could legally raise Jesus from the dead because he as the second Adam kept his father's commandments perfectly as a gift to us who are made new creations by Jesus. Again, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Have we heard any of this from our fast food free will preachers? No spiritual death and resurrection, no new creation, no born again, no saved. Does John Q. Public of America know this? And why is it that our free will preachers don't put this on the front burner? We are going to find out that there can be no spiritual death apart from putting original sin is sin on the front burner. And thus our free will preachers would have to proclaim that we as natural man Americans are totally 
depraved and thus could not make a free will decision for the true Jesus, thus destroying their free will narrative. But Jesus isn't finished slam dunking our free will friends with the corn of wheat analogy. For he concludes this analogy by saying this, verse 25, he that keeps on loving his life shall lose it. And he that keeps on hating his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. So Jesus is saying, look, if you think this spiritual death and resurrection has happened in your life, but you are not continuing to hate your life as a new creation, then you are still a caterpillar and not a butterfly. And you, in reality, are still loving your life as do all natural man Americans. For Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. We cannot hate our life unless our heart has been circumcised at the moment of conversion. And we, for the first time, will see the evil proclivities of our heart as God does and hate the evil proclivities of our heart so much that we agree with God that we should be condemned to hell. Our unwillingness to be condemned to hell is what blocks us from entering heaven. Let us again listen to Martin Luther, king of the bondage of the will reformation in the 1500s. For the damned are so severely damned because they are unwilling to be damned. Martin Luther extrapolating from Romans 9.3. In that moment, when we are being made a new creation, we feel ourselves worthy of this damnation or hell as we are being thrown to the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling, crying out for mercy. It is then we also feel Jesus reaching down and giving us a hand up saying, fear not, by faith, believe I have fulfilled the moral law for you. That is, take hold of my righteousness by faith as your ticket into heaven. Romans 3 verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith produced by Jesus Christ or of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. Now that we have received the gift of righteousness of Christ by faith as our ticket into heaven, can we boast? Verse 27, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith, it is excluded. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Do we then throw out the law as some of our free will friends fervently believe now that we are a Christian? Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law, for the law now shows us our impotence and continues to convict and condemn us and throwing us to the feet of Jesus. That we might flee to the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith as our ticket into heaven. Let us conclude by noting that the knowledge of original sin is sin, is an absolute necessity for us as individual Americans to become a new creation. But also, it is the last best hope for America. 
John Q. Public of America needs to know that original sin is sin, and it is the fountain from which all evil in this world flows. This knowledge will not only bring about the cauterization of the cultural rot in America, but its reversal. When the law is again used as a mirror to show us as Americans who we are as Americans before God, America again will be able to differentiate between our sin nature and our talents, freeing up our talents to flourish. Now a quote from Francis Bacon. It is a sad fate for a man to die too well known to everybody else and still unknown to himself. To be continued, the Lord keep thee and bless thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. In the name of Jesus, amen.